Love the control. Love the command. Love the spacebar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. Hello and welcome to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. Tonight we repeat a programme from Writing on Air in 2017 in which some young writers from Studio 12 came up to Studio 3 at Chapel FM and gave us some of their writing. Afterwards there's a Q&A presented by Khadija Ibrahim. This is to celebrate Black History Month here uh, on East Leeds FM. We follow that with a story by Pam Wilson, read by Pam Hilton, and then another story seasonally affected by John Hepworth, read by Jimmy Andricks. You're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. <laughs> And welcome to Chapel FM Arts Centre on East Leeds FM, where we are broadcasting for four days spoken word writing on air, our annual festival. It's been a fantastic thing so far, I think. Thank you so much to Yaffle just now, and then before that to Transforming with Poetry Inkwell. Now, I'm really excited about this next uh, programme. We're going out to the world, by the way. We have listeners in Peru. We know that. We had, and also in Belgium, strangely. We had a lot listening from Belgium in last Writing On Air. And we've had, yeah, we've had a fantastic array of performers, but this is going to be special. So it's a fact, Studio 12 is a great place where wonderful things happen. And we're really, really proud to have Khadija Ibrahim again. She was here very recently with us back again today, and she's going to be introducing these wonderful performers. So give them a big welcome, please. Thank you very much, Peter, for that. Thank you. So welcome to Manifesto in Verse. I'm just going to give you a little bit of a background of what that is. Manifesto in Verse is a project that celebrated 100 years since women got the right to vote. The project participants, who you're going to hear from later on, all participated in the workshop with Studio 12 and myself, and they used poetry to express their views linked to the suffrage movement and to write their own manifestos based on 100 years into the future. Studio 12 is a digital media initiative that delivers um, poetry workshops, media workshops, and they're based in the central library in the city centre. It's also an information service where they provide free access to digital resources, including multimedia, video, photography, music software for young people aged 16 to 30. So let's just give Studio 12 a round of applause. Let's give the women that are sitting here that are part of Manifesting Verse a round of applause. Yeah. 
So you are going to be in for an amazing treat. They've been writing poems, as I mentioned, around 100 years since women got the vote. And so this is their own manifesto, looking at what it means to them today to be a woman in today's society. So first up, I'm going to introduce Jazz Deep. So Jazz Deep is a poet. She's a yoga instructor. Instructor. She also, I'm just finding your thing here, sorry. Um, she's a yoga, yoga instructor. She's part of the Voice Box Cafe. She was also part of Borderlines. We want to introduce her to the stage. Please welcome Jazz Deep. Thank you. Um, this piece is called, sorry, is called Because I Am A Woman. Because I am a woman, it means that my ass is ripe to be plucked by faceless passers-by. Because I am a woman, I must be seeking male attention, be flirting with them, or I at least have to let them try. Because I am a woman, if someone calls me beautiful, it's weird to question why. Because I am a woman, I am asked every single day if I'm in a relationship, and each time I let out a big sigh. Am I mad for telling the truth, that I'm finding and learning from myself? Well, I must be, because I'm not trying to be a trophy on somebody else's shelf. I'm focusing on my health, wealth, and inner wealth. I'm focusing on what the world needs, planting seeds, and I hope that others take heed. Because I am a woman, I must look perfect on Instagram. Because I am a woman, I must watch my weight to keep a man. I don't really give a damn. Because I am a woman, I must have an ass or tits. If you don't have either, then at least you have your lips and they can be of service. I would much rather that you measured me by my grades or how I stopped myself from going insane, my eagerness to learn the favours that I return, the way that I have self-respect and that I self-reflect, rather than asking me if I take speed. How about we talk about the books that we read? Thank you. So that's Jazz Deep. And I want to just ask Jazz, Jazz Deep a few questions, if that's okay. That's okay. Okay, so I was listening to your poem and you talk about young women's issues. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you today? Young women's issues, I think, are just anything that young women are feeling today. Um, and that mostly comes from what they see um, outside in society a lot, a lot of the time on social media. And I think it can be really harmful and damaging for young girls to see what an ideal woman is because... I don't think there's any such thing. I just think people should be allowed to be who they are and they shouldn't have to feel like they have to fit into a box or that they have to be a Kardashian because that's not real. So just tell me one more thing. In mm. terms of writing your poem, what inspired you to come up with that idea, that concept? Um, a lot of things that have been bothering me recently. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that they were just on my mind and they've affected me recently. Um, things that I've experienced and seen. Okay, yeah. one more round of applause for Jazdeep, please. Come on. Thank you very much. Okay, so our next poet up is Lulia. So Lulia is a writer. She's interested in theatre, the theatre of words. And she likes to ex explore the landscape of words through poetry. I want you to welcome Lulia to the stage. You see, before I never knew if I was a feminist, but now I know, I've made up my mind, that feminism is the end of division between men and women. 
And that's all there is to it. Equality of the sexes. No matter who you are or where you're from. Because yes, Sojourner Truth, your words still ring true. Ain't I a woman too? So I'd rather call myself a humanist. Take away the subdivisions and give to each human what they're owed. Dignity, respect, equality, equal pay, bestow to all. But Jane Austen, your novels still play out in the lives of women in some corners of the first world, where wherever they go, they must live in the pocket of man, taken out and put back in again, only by their hand. They are nothing but their property, an object, a gift or something to be hidden away, should we misbehave. But it's like what you said, Manal al-Sharif, countries that keep women in the back seat will always end up on the wrong side of history. Like Rosa Parks, who got on the bus in 1950s America and decided to say no to injustice and ultimately won. A reminder we should never run from our convictions, rather give voice to our decisions. Start fighting for what we believe in. Yet in the 21st century, we still fight for our liberty in a world of bombs and terrorists. And in some places, our wounds only give us the right to education poverty. It is as you say, Malala Yousafzai, the extremists are afraid of women. They are afraid of books and pens. The power of education frightens them. Make up your mind for when one's mind is made up, that diminishes fear. Rosa Parks, your words are letters of encouragement, a statement of confirmation that activism starts on the inside, with you, the individual, because others will always be the last to recognize your worth. That is the way of the world. I am the change I want to be, looking through history, I am the change I want to see, speaking up publicly. I am an amalgamation of the trailblazers before me, in the hope that when one rises, the rest will follow. Thank you, Lulia. So I just want to ask you about the poem. What inspired you to write that poem? I think I've always had a deep realization that I wouldn't be where I am today and have the privileges I have today if it weren't for strong women who laid the path before me around the world. Nice. I like, I like that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> okay, so I'm just, I was reading something about you, said that you like theatre, you like poetry. I mean, can you just tell me a little bit more about how you work with theatre and poetry? Uh, so I have a couple of projects. For example, I, I collaborate with a theatre company called Mimesis, and um, I co-write the plays that we do, and I uh, often will inject an element of sp uh, spoken word into the plays, and uh, some of the family-friendly plays as well. It's quite good to have an element of poetry in there uh, to help engage with the children and make it a bit more fun. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Thank you very much, Lulia. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs>
Okay, so next up we have Amanda. So Amanda is also a poet and she originally, she's originally from Zimbabwe and she grew up in Leeds. She goes by the name of A the Poet. Is that right? A the Poet. She was also part of Borderlines Project and in her spare time she enjoys running a charity called One Woman Together. Can we welcome Amanda to the stage, please? She cries out in agony. Blood-red tears stream steadily away from her lids. The fertile green that used to flourish within her womb diminishes by the second. What have they done to her beloved land? The trees no longer stand tall in unison. Murder and rape are pierced into the hearts of her children. Unable to console, the rivers are flooded with tears. She cannot recognize herself in the mirror. She is not who she wanted to be. Many have prayed over her. She is unable to be released by the bonds that are tied to her by the elderly. Past traditions and anarchy rule over. The darkness in her heart spreads. The black is overcoming her, surrounding her. The yellow blossoming sun shall make its appearance again. She knows not yet of a date nor a time. She knows that freedom is a destination that is buried within her roots. Her neighbours turn away from her. The borders, the reason why? The invisible walls do not shield the wounds. By the minute the border grows taller and taller, unable to see her pain, the voices, the voices of her silenced children shall be heard again. The tears of our motherland shall be acknowledged. The pain of injustice shall not be ignored. She is my motherland. She will cry no more. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. So I'm going to ask you the same question. What inspired you to write that piece? So um, I wrote this piece just around the time where there was a bit of conflict in Zimbabwe, where I'm from, and um, it was just getting to a stage where, it's getting to a stage where voices are not being heard and it's the turnaround of where we used to be and where we are now is so drastic and there's so many people there that just want to be heard and want the country to flourish, but unfortunately, with the leadership that, that's currently there, that's just not happening. Um, so I just, it, it, couldn't, it came to a point where I felt like I couldn't do anything. So when that's the case for me, I normally just put it into my writing. So, which inspired okay. my words. And what about um, the manifesto in verse in terms of 100 women's vote? How did you see how that poem worked as a reflection? Um, I guess in, in a sense of, I always see the country as being my motherland. So that being my mother, being a woman. So I feel like we think, when you think of a mother, you think of nurture. So it's always been there to, the, the land has always been there to nurture us. So it, to me, if kind of, that's how I saw it. That's how I interpreted it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you. One more round of applause. Okay. Next up. We have Inas. 
Inas is a writer, poet, and visual artist. She started writing at the age of 13 when she joined Legion Authors in 2004 as a means to express herself. Her poetry and short stories delve into the theme of womanhood, religion, and identity. Anas has been recently become a Sunday practice poet in residence. Let's welcome her to the stage, please. I, I am queen. I am Nuba queen. I am Murawe Kush African queen. I am Kende Kete. I'm in Shakatu. In this land where women feast and fast, she feeds my people, builds kingdoms, gold under her feet, children under her breast, soldiers under her rule. She builds temples for the gods, kingdom of Kush. In the land of the Sud, the land of Sudan, the land of black, the kingdom of blacks, I, I am blind in my right eye, yet I fight with gold wrists. I fight with my head, not my fists. For peace and not for war, I, I am black. I am Nuba. I am black Pharaoh. I am a goddess. Like her, with coal eyeliner, I am the Nile River. I am the source of life. Horus is energy. I rule a land that cultivates crops in the south, grazes skin by roaring sandstorms in the north. I am still woman. I am she. She is you. Woman we are. Aswad Sud Suda. A Sudan, the land of the blacks. As dark as a night sky, blue hues, purple undertones, black aswad. I am black pharaoh, I am warrior. I, I am kingdom kush in the Bronze Age. I, Adini Amali. Thank you. I think you enjoyed that, didn't you? Them claps went on for a long time. Well, thank you, Inas. I just want to ask you about the inspiration for your poem. Okay, so I'm from Sudan, if you haven't noticed by the poem. Um, um, I wanted to write a piece that was basically inspired by the, um, the black pharaohs, um, leaders that were the leaders of Sudan, basically, in, the, in those ages. Um, and I researched and I knew a little bit about it anyways, but um, I found out that it was Amin Shakotu, which is basically she is a woman and she ruled over um, the Nuba back in the days. Um, and I just found it so interesting that she was basically a woman <laughs> ruling back in those days. Um, and she basically fought off the Greeks and all these things. And yeah, she's just amazing to say that. You know, she's black and she's a woman, and I kind of related to her in yeah. a way. Yeah. That's quite interesting because you're talking about the past. Mm. And how do you see that past narrative, that history, how do you see that working for the future for yourself as an individual and also for other women? Mm. So I know 
most recently, um, I know that Ethiopia got a female president. And, you know, there's been female presidents in the world throughout the times anyways, but I think it's very, very inspiring for me as a woman to know that there is another woman that looks like me that rules in Africa, especially with Amanda talking about how Zimbabwe has gone through all this stuff and Sudan's going through it at the moment. Um, and it's mainly not to say that I'm anti-men or anything, but I feel like main, ma male ego is very overpowering sometimes. I think sometimes a female perspective can kind of even out the playing fields a little bit so um for me the inspiration is just for now is that um like m women in general can do whatever they feel like they can do to improve whatever situation that they're in it's all about in the mind so yeah for sure one more round of applause for Ines yeah amazing Okay, so I do have a few more questions that I, I want to ask them in regards to their, their roles as poets and also where they see themselves in the future. So that is really the question. But also, I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask them any questions that you'd like. So if you'd like to ask a question, just let us know. We're going to have a roving mic and um, you just put your hand up and we'll come to you. So really, what I'd like to ask now is, where do you see yourself in the future? In being part of Manifesto in Verse and the Voice Box Cafe, but also looking at that 100 years of women's vote in Britain. And then you've, you've all got this, you're all part of a different um, group of people coming from different parts of the world, and you're here in Britain, that's what brings you here today. Where do you see yourselves? Do you see yourselves as part of that narrative? Um, in the future, I definitely see myself being, as a, being a leader. Um, and that's kind of been put in play with the charity that I have called One Woman Together. Um, so my whole basis is of helping women that, um, helping women provide them with sanitary products if, if they do not have access to it, because it's such a, it's seen as kind of, a luxury in society, in the West, in Africa, all over the world, it's seen as a luxury where it's not. So I feel like I'm using my position as a woman, a woman in, privi uh, in privilege and helping provide for those women. That's where I see myself in the future, using my platform, whether it be poetry or my charity, to help other women. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I'm a theatre maker and, uh, and I also love spoken words, um, what I'm sort of blending my work towards now is a more uh, like a, a blend between theatre and spoken word. Um, so I think that's where I see myself in the future is not, well, not only just making, you know, spoken word and theatre blends, or fusions, but also making uh, theatre shows, uh, just straight theatre shows. And uh, that's where I'm headed. I'm, I'm already there, to be fair, I'm already, I already make theatre. But I hope to be able to showcase um, what I believe, you know, can help change people's perceptions and better society, I guess, um, on a bigger platform. That's where I would hope to go. Nice. Um, as a poet and as a person, I like to talk about things which I feel as 
um, people and as a society that we need to talk about more and issues that we still um, need to work on. Um, in future, I can see myself continuing to be a poet because um, I just I'm thinking and writing all the time um, to inspire people to to take action in their lives for the better, um, for the betterment of everyone, and also um, to. Sorry, I was I was just thinking of it then, um, but also to. Um, no, sorry, it's gone. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It can be quite overwhelming, but I, we understand what she's saying, don't we? Yeah, of course, of course. So um, just one more question for any one of you. How do you see poetry working for you in the future? Oh, um, I basically... My whole incentive is based around mental health and, you know, women issues, as you know. Um, so poetry is kind of an outlet that I can allow myself to just be free and be me and say whatever I want without any judgment. Um, so I think poetry would work for me in a sense of trying to combine that with the mental health, because I'm studying counselling at the moment, to try and combine them both, to try and um, hopefully um, take it on board and help other young kids. Um, especially coming from Legion Offers, I felt like that was the only space that I had at that time. And I think um, it's very interesting to try and find spaces like these and others um, to try and get them to include kids um, so they can actually have that incentive and be able to write and just create and just be themselves without having any kind of judgment. So, yeah, that's mainly my point of view of it. Thank you. Thank you. Right, so I'd like to open um, the floor to the audience to ask any questions. Is there anybody that would like to ask a question to any of these beautiful young women sitting here? Go on, ask them a question. <laughs> oh, look, we've got somebody there. And we don't get enough young people in the poetry communities. A lot of old people like me, um, too many people like me, so it's great to see such a great, a great variation. I was going to ask you if you have aspirations, do they include work on the page, or are you more, would you, would you like to be on a CD or, or a CD? You know how old I am now. Um, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Tape, yeah. You don't know what tape is. Um, yeah, so are you considered being on the page or does not that matter? You just want to be heard live? Or how do you? Um, I'm currently trying to get my poetry to be better on the page because I'm more of a, a spoken poet. But um, I do have a YouTube channel. Um, check that out, A the Poet. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think in the future I'm, I'm steadily going towards trying to write more on the page and maybe looking into writing more poetry in a book form. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm seeing for my future. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's really interesting you asked that because I was thinking about the, that the other day after Khadija had given me some feedback on uh, one of my pieces that I wrote. Um, 
that because it's a piece I wrote to be performed, um, it made me think, actually, uh, would this translate well on the page? And so I thought, okay, I have to make a decision what I want my work to be. And um, for me, that is, the decision was, uh, I want to write the poetry for theater, like I mentioned before, the fusion. So for me, I, um, I'm gonna write poetry that's meant to be performed. So, I mean, if it ends up on a page, fair enough, but I want it primarily to work, be something that is meant to be performed live in front of people. Um, that's me. <laughs> um. I just quite like poetry to be accessible to everyone. So whether that's um, in a book or whether that's on YouTube or however it is, um, to echo what Inas was saying, um, it is about inspiring people to feel free to express themselves. Um, so however, really. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, so I find I'm actually a spoken word artist and I call myself that um, but I think with these um, workshops with Khadija and Studio 12 um, Khadija's helped a lot in trying to edit my work and help me edit my work to, so it can actually resonate as powerful in as powerful enough I'm not a poet <laughs> as Basically, the resonate what exactly I mean on a page as much it would as much as it would in face to face and live. So yeah, thank you, Khadija. Hmm. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that was a really good question. Is there any more questions? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about your writing process or your inspiration. What happens? How does it work? You know, from you know what inspires you, and then how does it end up on this page or in your mouth to be performed, just, you know, process, kind of. <laughs> Back up again. Um, so I, how I write my poetry is normally, I would think of a sentence, and I, it normally comes to me like before I sleep, or when I wake up, mostly before I sleep. Um, and I think it's, the inspiration from it, it I don't know, it just, it's just a feeling. I guess, and that's how I see it. Um, and it's how I portray that feeling in that sentence on that page, I guess. Um, and then it just goes from there. Um, editing, I find editing very tedious, but at the same time, I think it's very, like it's amazing. It feels really, really beautiful when you've edited something and then you can read it back to yourself and then you're just like, oh my God, I just wrote that. Um, and it sounds exactly how you feel like it would sound in your head. Um, but I just, I just don't like editing, but I love the outcome of editing. <laughs> I think my process is probably not that different from analysis. Um, I... My writing process for poetry, it normally starts with a thought. I, I have, you know, I might just think something and a thought might capture my interest uh, and I might write that thought down and then it becomes a process of excavating what that thought is or means and just really going through the details of what that thought means. Like, what does it actually mean? What does that say um, about my experiences, uh, what I've seen in the world, you know, in society. Um, and I just sort of allowed that process of exploration to um, go as I write. And if I need to research some things on the internet to sort of 
inform myself, then I will do that as well. Um, and I'll just try not to force it. And then afterwards, <laughs> I will edit it. Um, for me these days, it just kind of flows. Um, I, 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 I don't know how, like just to give like kind of context and background, um, we were entering this competition in school, in primary school, and it was um, poems about the environment. And I wrote a poem and it ended up getting published and I was like, oh, wow. And then I didn't think about even writing um, because as a child, obviously you want to do other things. Um, but then my granddad passed away and all I could feel was pain. And for some reason, something told me that I had to put pen to paper and I felt an incredible amount of re release and relief from doing so um, and healing. And then, I don't know, I think, I think just significant life events, as I've just felt quite overwhelmed and it just felt natural to write. Um, and then I've just managed to get into a state of flow where, I don't know, if you just think about something, it will just come out. So yeah, it's quite magical really. Yeah. <laughs> I think we might have time for one more question. Can I ask one? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, are you first? No, no, I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go I on, Siobhan. I just wanted Siobhan. to say, um, it's just amazing to see such powerful young women speaking. And I know when Kantisha and I did a project many years ago called Voices <laughs> of Women, there were not very many women out speaking. And I wanted to ask you, do you think that your generation of women are more able to find your voices and to speak? And there seem to be so many young women with powerful voices and new stories to tell in the world that I think we need. I just wanted what, what you felt about that. Me again. <laughs> um, so I think because we're in an age right now where it's, um, it's not necessarily, it's more women in the forefront, I feel like, just because of the all these movements like feminism, womanism, and, you know, slut work, like, you know, we're doing all this stuff, you know, women empowerment, just how you feel, all that kind of thing. I feel like women have taken a stand. I feel like women have always been there. They've always been behind, like, even with the manifesto, um, to basically speak their truth and make sure that their voices have been heard. And it's only fair, it's only right, let's say, that we as women now in this generation, we, we actually take on those voices and make them our own and add on to it. Because if we don't have a voice, then what are we, you know? I definitely agree. And I think um, now we're at a stage where our voices are now heard. Like, we have more channels to express our voice, so you can... There's YouTube channels, there's podcasts, there's no, like, um, before there wasn't that space for you to express what you felt or express how you feel, express how you feel and express what you were thinking or your thoughts on certain situations and you were very much shut down for saying that and um, now there's no room for it and we're very much in an open society or society is beginning to open up a lot more and the whole, you, I think the YouTube movement and the podcast movement, it's very much opening the doors to more women voices, definitely. Yes? Uh, oh. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, there was another question. Uh, I'll, I'll answer really quickly. I'll, I agree with uh, what these two have just said. And um, I would add as well that being in a, in a country like England, uh, 
where there is less repercussions for women speaking up, I think now it is becoming easier for women to speak up and say what they want to say honestly, uh, without fear of <laughs> imprisonment or anything like that, which is some of the themes that came out in the piece that I did, that even in the 21st century, in other countries in the world, women are being persecuted for speaking up or wanting education and things like that. So, um, but yes, in this country, I think definitely women are being bolded to, to speak up. Um, just to um, expand upon what Lulia said as well, um, I think we, we all want to encourage everyone to speak up and to express how they feel, um, but particularly for myself and these guys, um, being a woman and a woman from an ethnic background, sometimes we are told to kind of, we're kind of oppressed sometimes, and for me it's been really powerful in um, writing poetry, um, and I feel a lot more confident for doing so, um, and accepted, and um, yeah, I think it's really important because a lot of the time people don't feel like they can do that or they feel like there will be repercussions. So um, this has been really, really powerful. Yeah. So, well, I, I think we probably need to wrap up, but I thank you for, for giving us that at the end there because the, the theme of the, the festival is the voice, speaking out and being heard and listening as well. So what that last comment there, thank you so much for that because it's right on the button for us. And I think one thing I wanted to just come back, it was more of a, a statement really, some, just an ob observation. You talked about the poem that you wrote at school, at primary school, mm -hmm. and it's uh, I think a source of grief to quite a few of us that uh, poetry is doesn't seem to figure. Creative writing seems to have seem to be, be to be fading as something that's encouraged in, in particularly in primary schools. We're very much in the business here at uh, Chapel FM of working with schools and and getting our young people to, to to write poetry and to perform it to read it here. And I think it's so important. So, and I think that you you said that later on poetry that was what occurred to you to do. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have a feeling it was because you wrote that poem when you were very young, yeah. and there was a kind of an imprint of confidence that you could do that, that made you now what you're doing, do what you're doing. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I definitely think so, um, because to me it was, it was just a poem, it was just some rhymes, but um, receiving acknowledgement for that um, and talking about an, quite a big issue such as climate change and the environment. Um, yeah, it, it was quite empowering. Um, but like I said, I didn't really think about it and then I just felt compelled to write. So I don't know where that came from, but um, it, was, it was definitely a factor. Um, and I think that as children, like you were saying, it's really important that they are encouraged to express themselves and to engage in as many activities as possible and to receive encouragement for that because it will help them later on in life and it will help the rest of society. Um, yeah. Just really, just to say thank you so much to these four young people here, four young writers, Khadija Ibrahim and the wonderful Studio 12. Give them a round of applause, please. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> don't go away. Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Quando eu canto e a chuva cai. Frog in a Bog by Pam Wilson.
Does it hurt, Grandma? asked Lily. Well, yes, said Grandma. I'm afraid it does. But I think if I just keep still and don't do anything today, it'll be much better by tomorrow. Lily smiled sympathetically and tried hard not to mind. She was six and loved staying at Grandma's. It was fun and they always found lots of things to do. Picnics by the beck, hide and seek in the woods, blackberry picking in the old quarry. But Grandma had sprained her ankle playing badminton, so none of the usual activities were possible today. She'd already explored Grandma's huge dressing-up cupboard, and after a morning as a princess, was now dressed as a witch, in a black satin cloak and pointed hat with a small bat attached to it. But now it's raining really hard, said Lily sadly, so we can't even go out in the garden. What we need, said Grandma, is a diversion. Something to keep us busy and cheer us up. Why don't you go up to the attic and look in the old trunk? You won't be able to lift it, but choose a few things you like the look of and bring down what you can carry safely. The trunk, Lily always thought this was such a funny word for a suitcase, was so old it had belonged to Grandma's father and it was full of all the old books that Lily's mummy had never been able to give away. Usually, Grandma chose a selection to put by Lily's bed, so being allowed to go and look for herself was really a bit special. She was gone for a long time, and Grandma was beginning to wonder if she might have a quick nap when Lily reappeared with an old basket full of books. I put them in this so I could carry them safely, she explained. How very sensible, said Grandma. Well, what have you found? Lily tipped the books out on the floor. There seemed to be plenty for an afternoon's reading. What would you like to read first, she asked. Oh, said Grandma, I'm doing the reading, am I? What about you? I'm doing the listening. Well, I have a better idea, said Grandma. Why don't we take turns? I'll read one to you, and then you can read one to me. And I'll help if you get stuck with any tricky words. This plan was a great success, and they both enjoyed themselves enormously. Grandma read The Tiger Who Came to Tea, Cousin Blodwin's Visit, and The Tailor of Gloucester, and with just a little help, Lily read The Three Little Pigs, Funny Bones and Meg and Mog. This last one was far and away her favourite, and probably part of the reason she dressed up as a witch for the afternoon. I'm making a spell, she chanted, frog in a bog, bat in a hat, snap, crackle, pop and fancy that. She danced round the living room, waving a paintbrush as a magic wand and pointing it hopefully at Grandma. Suddenly, Lily stopped. Grandma, she said, maybe Meg's spell would make your poorly foot better. Grandma looked doubtful. Meg's spells don't always come out quite right, do they? she said. You might accidentally turn me into a caterpillar. They do sometimes said Lily, 
clearly determined to put her plan into action. Now all we need is the ing... What's that word, Grandma? Ingredients? Yes, the ingredients for the spell. Grandma pointed to the witch hat, which had fallen off during the spell-making dance. Oh, yes, bat in a hat. Now all we need is a frog in a bog and something that goes snap, crackle, pop. Grandma explained that snap, crackle, pop was probably something to do with an old slogan for a breakfast cereal. But Lily concluded that a packet of crisps would probably be just as snappy and crackly. The frog in the bog was more of a problem. Peering through the window into the rain-swept garden, Lily could see no sign of a frog and she wasn't very sure exactly what a bog was anyway. It's sort of squelchy grass with soft mud underneath, Grandma explained. It looks like a field, but if you walk on it you sink in and your shoes fill with muddy water. I know, it often happens when I go for a walk. Just the sort of place a frog would like. And, she added with a chuckle, do you know, when I was a little girl, it's what the boys at school used to call the loo. The look on Lily's face convinced her that she probably shouldn't have mentioned this, and Grandma hastily suggested that as it was tea time, the problem could safely be left till next morning hoping that Lily would have forgotten all about the frog and the bog by then. But Lily did not forget, and at bedtime she was still thinking about where to look for both of them. Suddenly there was a small scream from the bathroom, followed by a cry of delight. Oh! Grandma! Grandma! Come and look! I found one! As quickly as her sprained ankle would allow, Grandma hobbled to the bathroom to find Lily pointing excitedly to the lavatory pan. Look, Grandma, she squeaked, a frog in the... No, a frog in a bog. Poor little frog, said Grandma. He must have been washed into the drains by the heavy rain. We must rescue him and put him out in the garden. But we can use him in the spell first, can't we? said Lily. He won't mind being part of a spell as a thank you for rescuing him. She grinned. What a good job I didn't we on him. After some discussion about whether the spell needed to be made whilst the frog was still in the bog or could be rescued first, the little frog was persuaded to creep into a small glass dish. Lily assembled all her ingredients and duly enacted the spell, which Grandma assured her would take an hour or so to work properly. Then she took the little frog outside and freed him into the wet garden. At last, Grandma took Lily upstairs and kissed her good night. Do you think the spell is working, Grandma? she asked. Do you think your ankle will be better tomorrow? I'm sure it will said Grandma. And of course, it was. Seasonally Affected by John Epworth A familiar scene in more ways than one. Like a parody of an old detergent advert, the mother addressed her son from behind a pair of grey flannel short trousers, held almost to her chin so the lad had to look at the unloved garment and his mother's interrogative face at the same time. I'm not going to ask again! 
She contradicted herself. What's this? Don't know, he replied, holding on to his indefensible opening. You can see that something's happened to these, can't you, little fool? Yes. What is it then? What's happened? What's marked these trousers? I'm not going to ask again. But a slight tone of wonder was in her question, with the trousers disfigured by lines that might have been drawn with a ruler and a nice stick of charcoal from her own box of art materials. But these lines weren't drawn, they were more, well, engraved, sort of, or etched. That was it, etched. The lines, a neat octagonal shape like a rectangle with its corners cut off, were not just on the fabric, but rather bitten into the nap of the cheap flannel cloth. The wicked little monkey had actually been etching his trousers. No, she thought, suddenly suspecting a hysteria she didn't feel. I'm getting carried away. I haven't that sort of stuff in the house, and anyway, he'd make a mess with it. Not a nasty, neat job like this. You did this, didn't you? And you're not going anywhere till you admit it. Look at this mess. You've nearly burnt through these. There'll never be any use ever again. That was it. Yes, of course. Burnt. Why hadn't she realised before? With the keyword burnt, the boy thought he'd better prepare the next stage of his defence. He was going to lose this one, he knew, but he must make sure his opponent was exhausted before the battle was over. Then, there wouldn't be so much vigour for punishment. It happened with a firework. Not a bad move, that, a bit of the truth, sounding both possible and impossible at the same time. His mother believed, doubted, had feelings of horror at the menace of a firework on the front of her only son's trousers, and then coolly challenged, Oh yeah? How? Don't know. Wow. Shouldn't have tried that one again. She nearly clouted me then. I mean, I can't quite remember. We were just sort of messing about. She saw a kind of truth. Late October, gangs of boys from all over wandering over with fireworks. Pretty rough types, some of them. You won't put it past them to use the things as a weapon against anyone too cheeky who crossed them. Or for no reason at all. Who did this to you? She demanded. Nobody, he replied, all too convincingly, instantly regretting he'd let some good material get away that could have kept the combat going another couple of rounds before admitting no one else was involved. I did it. Me, he confessed now beginning himself to weary. With a banger. I was just messing about. Don't talk such rubbish, his mother responded, striking out with the black-branded trousers and achieving a nasty flick. I did, Mum. Honest. Well, what did you do then? Might have killed yourself or set yourself on fire. She was worried. Had the little maniac developed a taste for self-mutilation? Have you burned your leg as well? Let me see. No, Mum. Honestly, I wasn't wearing them at the time. What? What kind of barbarians had the little fool fallen into the hands of? What do you mean? Why'd you got your trousers off? Who were you with? What were they doing? I'm wearing other ones, Mum. What I've got on now? These jeans. It was a Saturday, and I wasn't even out anywhere. I was in my room. 
Rubbish, you damned fool. Letting fireworks off in your bedroom? You could send the old place up in flames. You're not fit to live in a decent house, you rotten little bugger. It were okay, honest. It were only a penny banger, and I did it in the lead box. The lead box. The octagonal lead box. Rectangular with chamfered corners and a domed lid. Probably an ancient tobacco box about the size of a half-pound tea tin, where the lad kept a few military mementos, sergeant stripes, a metal badge of a crown and another of the royal coat of arms, a nice smooth braided cord called a lanyard. All revered evidence of a time before his own. Of the man who, long before he bought his son such a stupid pair of short, stiff, grey flannel trousers, had himself gone forth for his country wearing decent, proper gear against the danger of real explosives. Haven't you got any sense at all? What did you do that for? Well, on the news they're always saying that dangerous stuff, atomic and that, is put in lead boxes for safety, so I used mine. Am I lying or telling the truth, he was asking himself as he spoke the words. Oh yeah, and what about the trousers? Well, I used those just in case. Just in case what? She screeched, lashing out with them again so a buckle flashed past the boy's eyeline as he dodged. Well, just in case. So there won't be a mark on the eider down or get it smoky or anything. He wasn't doing too badly. He saw fatigue was slowing down his mother's performance and, more important, could see she was beginning to be relieved in that odd way they have, as if they're glad it's not worse. You better not be telling me you've done anything to that eider down. No, Mum. Honest, I haven't. That's what the trousers were for. Then I threw myself on top of it all to muffle the explosion. That last phrase was from a comic he'd just read, but she didn't seem to notice it wasn't really his. Get up them stairs now, she hissed, chasing him to his room. She flung back the eider down and sniffed it, then looked at it a bit at a time, shuffling it through her fingers. More relief. You can damn well stay here now, and you don't come down for tea either, or any television, and your father'll be up to see you once he's had something to eat. It was going to be all right then. If it was really bad, she'd send Dad up as soon as he got home, when he was hungry and tired and much more dangerous. He heard his mother go downstairs and close the living room door. He opened his window a few inches, then went to the shaky little bookcase, stretching his arm through to a hidden place behind it before returning to the window. He looked out and stepped back from it and stretched his arm once more, sighting along the peculiar battle of an ancient Webley air pistol at a point two gardens away. There, a pair of cheapish grey flannel short trousers, the very ones that had given his parents their wrong-headed idea, were pegged to a tight washing line. Love the haiku, love the sonnet, love the quatrain and the couplet, love the words, from East Leeds FM.
Thank you.